It's time for mystery. Mystery Radio X X X Ladies and gentlemen, the American Broadcasting Company brings transcribed to its entire network one of radio's most unusual programs. Pat Novak for hire. San Francisco, you always bite off more than you can chew. It's tough on your windpipe, but you don't go hungry. And down here, a lot of people figure it's better to be a fat guy in a graveyard than a thin guy in a stew. That way, you can be sure of a tight fit. Oh, I rent boats and do anything else that makes a sound like money. It works out all right. If your mother doesn't mind you coming home for Easter in a box. I found that out Wednesday night about 9 o'clock. I closed the shop early and I came home to read. It wasn't a bad book if you ever wanted to start a forest fire. It was one of those historical things. And the girl in it wandered around like a meat grinder in ribbons. I was moving along all right. She was just getting her second wind before going after the world's record when the door to my apartment opened and the place began to get kind of crowded. From where I sat, the crowd looked good. She sauntered in, moving slowly from side to side like 118 pounds of warm smoke. Her voice was all right, too. It reminded you of a furnace full of marshmallows. Good evening. Yeah, thanks for knocking. I don't think you mind my coming in without warning. No, I get the cabbage smell from next door the same way. Does it pay to be that polite, Mr. Novak? Saves you the trouble of saying please. What's on your mind? That bottle in front of you. Will you pour me a drink? No, I won't. You'll save dough if you look up a bartender. All right. I came to use you instead of your whiskey anyway. Let's hear. My name is Lee Inderwood. I'll give you $300 to do something for me. It'll only take an hour. That's too much dough unless it's murder, and if it is murder, it's not enough dough. Are you afraid? I just don't like paid murder. I told you, when you get caught, the pain gets expensive. If it were murder, I'd do it myself. Mr. Novak, I want you to frighten someone for me. Why don't you hire a friend? Are they too pretty? It's a man named Dixie Gillian. You'll find him in an office down on Folsom Street at this address. I promise nothing will happen to you. That's what they told Benedict Arnold. You'll be in this office until 11 tonight. I want you to go in and see him. Tell him you're from Adrian, and that he's to get out of town by tomorrow noon. Suppose he wants to put it off. He won't. Don't let him know who hired you. Just tell him Adrian said to leave. Look, lady, you better go on home. For 300 bucks, I won't buy a tissue paper plot. Now tell me more or say goodbye. There's not much more I can tell you, except there won't be any trouble. He's a rotten little beast, and I want him frightened badly. Why? He's been bothering my sister. Why doesn't he bother you? Because I bother back too fast. You want the 300, Mr. Novak? It's going to be a long summer. Put it on the table. Good. And you'll need this, too. No, you keep that. I don't want a gun. It's empty. Don't worry. See? 
No shells. It's perfectly safe. Now, look, sis, I got a nasty disposition. You can rent that for 300 bucks, but if you want more, find a gunsel. I don't want you to be a gunsel. That's why I want you to use this gun. I know it's empty. Use it on Dixie and he'll scare fast. It's just a way to save some breath. All right. It's your 300. You'd better go now. Yeah. Wait till I get a coat with you. If your doorbell rings, don't play mouse. Oh? Because I may look you up. Am I too young to ask why? Because if anything goes wrong, I'll be around looking for you. And from there on, it won't be nice. I'll dirty you up like a locker room towel. Relax, Patsy. You'll never learn to fall in love that way. She handed me the gun and walked out of my apartment. Seeing her leave made you feel like Frank Buck losing an argument. She walked with a nice, easy swing of a satisfied leopard. And for a small leopard, she had pretty good spots, too. Well, I put the gun in my overcoat pocket and I went down to Folsom Street. The address was down near the bridge entrance and the street was deserted except for a couple of winos near the corner trying to buy back 1926 at a dollar a jug. I stopped in front of the place. It was a machinery company. And I could see a light burning in the back. I began to walk through the place. It was so quiet you could hear a worm with whooping cough and there were enough shadows around to keep a ghost happy for years. When I got to the office back in the corner, through the glass, I could see a man sitting at the desk. When I opened the door and walked in, he didn't seem surprised. Come on in, mister. You're bad on noise. Yeah? That's right. You make too much for a thief and not enough for a customer. What do you want? About ten words, if you're Dixie Gillian. Go ahead. You better look up a timetable. What makes you that tough? This. Oh. Well, you look tougher with a gun. Does it make you talk faster? Now, look, I'm going to say it slow, mister. Pack up your rompers and get out. Is that you talking or somebody else? I'm just the guy with a gun. Adrian does the talking. And he says get out. That's right. You got the whole message now. All right, you told me, so wander out and spend your dough. I will. Oh, you'll need part of it, though. Because I'm going to give you an answer for Adrian. I'm going to take that gun away from you, mister. You can pick the pieces out of your head on the way home. You better stand back or I'll share it with you. You've got your offer, mister. Let's see you make good. I'll save your muscle, fella. Stop that gun! Save your muscle, fella. The gun's empty. Somebody fooled us, mister. Sometimes you can get a home run with a half swing. That's the way it was this time. He couldn't have made it with a prayer book in both hands. He slid down to the floor and trembled for a minute and then flattened out like a leaf in a pool of water. Just before he died, he grabbed his side as if he didn't like the way it hurt. And then he didn't care. I rolled him on his back and let him look at the ceiling. His eyes were open, and he looked surprised like a guy who didn't figure on a change in the weather. There was a scar that ran across his forehead and dug deep into his hairline. And he was lying there with a bunch of pink gum showing as if he was trying to pick up a few bucks with a toothpaste ad. Well, I didn't have time to tell him how sorry I was, because if homicide caught me here, I'd have about as much chance as a canary in a basement full of cats. I started for the door, but right then I knew I could start ordering birdseed. It was Hellman, and he walked over to look at the body. Hello, Novak. The guy looks embarrassed. Yeah, I guess he is, Hellman. What's he doing dead? Putting in a beef somewhere, I guess. He rates it. 
He'll like you for that, Novak. How'd it happen? A team play. We worked it out together. But you've got the gun. That's right. I got the gun. Yeah. You feel like a bet? No, just keep stealing the old way. You know how I feel, Novak? You feel flabby to anybody else, but to yourself, I suppose you feel good. Look, I walked in here with a gun. There was some quick fight talk, and I killed him, but it's still not a good rap. I can get a long price on it for you, Novak. I'll bet you can, Hellman. You can give me a bad deal, but part of the time it'll be from the other side of the deck. Worse than that, Novak, it'll be all the time. And I want to watch you, because I think you're going to be a crybaby. I'm going to scream, if that's what you mean, Hellman. I'm going to scream about a gal that sent me in here with an empty gun. That's a big hole for a cap pistol, Novak. I got a last-minute curve. It was empty once. Yeah, that's the only way they make a gun. I don't want you for an hour ago. I want you for this dead guy on the floor. All right, all right. I told you I didn't come in here to kill the guy. I don't know him. He may even be a good guy. I'm sorry he's dead. All right, Novak. Just wait a few weeks. You can tell him personally. Hellman had me up against the rail and he knew it. When we left there, he was wearing a big, toothy smile. It was big enough to sew on his ears. He called the coroner and told him to pick up the stiff, and then we rode downtown. He dropped the gun into ballistics and hauled me into his office. The reporters were there. He gave them the whole story and told them how to spell Hellman. After that, we wound up at the desk, and he booked me on suspicion of murder. The next hour and a half was the kind of stuff they don't write about in the paper. They call it interrogation, and when you're finished, you've been through a lot of tight spots, like an atom up at Caltech. About 11 o'clock, Hellman brought me into his office, and from there on, it happened kind of fast. I just talked to the DA. He's going to streamline things for you. Well, he's going to look funny going to trial on a guy you can't identify. We'll find out all about the dead guy. Well, you can't count his fingers without making a mistake. If you want to know who he is, talk to that girl. Her name's Lee Inderwood. We've been through all that, Novak. Now, suppose you tell me who Dixie Gillian is. I don't know, Hellman. The girl said his name was Dixie Gillian. I won't press you. I don't have to, Novak. I've got the only parlay I need. You, the dead guy, and a big, fat murder gun. Oh, sure. Yeah, Hellman talking. Yeah, I know it was a thirty-eight. They're crazy down in ballistics. I saw them standing over the dead guy. They must have made a mistake, that's all. No, no, I don't want him in here. I don't want him in here. Hey, Tony. Tony, I... Ah. You're getting pale. You need some more rouge, Hellman. I got some bad news, Inspector. Well, keep it or you'll take more home to your wife. I'll talk to you later. No, talk to him now, Hellman. If that bullet doesn't match the gun, talk to him now. That's right, Inspector. A thirty-eight bullet, but it won't match the gun you brought in. It's got to match. I came in and found him standing there. He's already admitted it. It's a neat trick, then. If he fired the bullet out of that gun, he retooled it in midair. I'm not that fast, Hellman. Come on, get out of that chair so you'll have room to squirm. You keep still, Novak. I won't bother you. I'm going home. Huh? I'm walking out of your jail, Hellman. You got a broken down 38 that won't fit anything but your thumbs. You can't hold me on that. I found you over the body. I can hold you on suspicion of murder. Yeah, but it'll hurt tomorrow morning, Hellman. The papers will be down for a follow-up, and you'll have to tell them what it looks like out in left field. I'll handle them. You can't afford to let them start laughing at you. People get the idea it's your face. You can save car fare if you stay right here, because I'll have you back by noon tomorrow. You're not that good, Hellman. You couldn't hold a moth with a searchlight. The town ought to thank you. What? Oh, it's a nice jail, Hellman. With you around, it'll last for years. When I walked out of headquarters, I had a nice mess to juggle. It was like trying to walk the baby on a floor full of marbles. If things didn't add up for Hellman, they weren't going to do any better for me. I knew that gun I had went off. If it did, what happened to the bullet and where did the other one come from? And why weren't there two shots? Well, 
I couldn't put my finger on a thing, and nothing added up. It was like trying to follow a grain of rice in a Shanghai suburb. So I looked up Lee Inderwood's address, and I went by her apartment. A girl downstairs told me that she worked at a nightclub out on the Bay Shore Highway. Well, I had to hit a couple of places, so I looked up the only honest guy I know. An ex-doctor and a boozer by the name of Jocko Madigan. A good man until he began to figure the last drink in the bottle is just as easy to get at as the first. I found him in a little leather-trimmed sink on Powell Street. It was a grimy little hole where they washed the glasses once a week in stale beer. But Jocko was more at home than a vulture in Calcutta. Ah, Patsy, you're just in time to celebrate my return to health. Something mild for Mr. Novak, a double stinger, perhaps. No, forget it, Jocko. i got to talk to you. Patsy, I've just passed through a crisis. A few minutes ago, they set before me a glass with a woman's lipstick all around the rim. All right, Jocko. I took one gulp and looked at the glass, and in this dim light, I thought I was bleeding to death. It took them ten minutes and three mirrors to calm me down. Jocko, I'm in trouble. You've got to help me. But they washed the glass for me in ammonia. They must have left a little ammonia in the glass because the next drink had a very odd tang about it. I've had three more just like it, a, a sort of ammonia collins. All right, all right. So far, they've been using domestic ammonia. When the imported stuff comes in, I may give up whiskey altogether. Calm down, will you, Jocko? i got a bum shake tonight. Yes? I either killed a guy or thought I did. That uses up the alternatives. Uh, what are you doing now, taking a vote? I got hired to scare a guy down on Folsom Street. Ten minutes later, the guy was dead. Patsy, you take your work too seriously. Couldn't you have just scared him into a lingering illness instead of killing him? One of the props was an empty gun. Only when the fight came, it grew bullets. Hellman walked in right after on a telephone tip. What are you doing out of the gas chamber? The whole thing backfired down at headquarters. The bullet and the phony gun wouldn't match. Oh, it doesn't add up, Jocko. That call to Hellman's a tip-off. I was framed, but why wasn't I framed all the way? Who is the dead man? Oh, just a guy with a falling blood count. His name was supposed to be Dixie Gillian, but there's no identification and no record on him. You shouldn't have hired out as a gunsel. I told you I didn't hire out as a gunsel. It was somebody else's idea. You have no conscience, Patsy. It's just a sort of soap opera rule of thumb you put into practice now and then, but no real conscience. You'd let a dying woman lie in the middle of the highway unless her head was resting on a pile of savings bonds. All right, Jocko, I'll cry with you later. I need help now. What sort of help? I want you to break into a girl's apartment. Yes? Don't worry, she won't be home. Ah, is that supposed to be an incentive? It's at this address here, up on O'Farrell. Her name is Lee Inderwood. She's the one who hired me. If the girl's not there, what am I supposed to find? Anything that'll connect her with a dead man. He's a big guy with a scar. That doesn't help much. You can't miss. Go through the desk and drawers. Pick up everything you can, will you? And leave a message at my place. As soon as I finish this drink. Oh, hurry up, will you, Jocko? Leave the glass alone and get going. Don't rush me. Hurry up, will you? The glass is empty anyway. Yes, that's what you thought about that gun, but the fellow got an awful jolt out of it. Good night, lover. I went by a horse parlor on O'Farrell Street and borrowed a car from a guy. It was after midnight when I started down the Bayshore Highway, and about a half hour later, I pulled up in front of the Cat's Paw. It was a long, rambling place on the left side of the road. There was no plan. It just followed the erosion line until they ran out of material. There was enough neon in front to light a main intersection in heaven. In the lobby, I saw a picture of Lee Inderwood, one of those shadowy things that was supposed to make you think she'd die in a cold climate. 
She was sitting at a piano with a little microphone in front of her, and you got the idea right away. She didn't have much of a voice, but plenty of songs that made your wife lean over and ask you to explain. I asked a 50-year-old busboy, and he said she was back in her dressing room getting ready for the 1 o'clock show. When I walked in, she was sitting in front of a mirror working on an upswept hairdo. If she swept it up anymore, it was going to leave her head. I stood behind her looking at the pink, fresh part of her neck that didn't show when the hair was done. You seem fascinated, Patsy. No, I just want to know where to break it. Oh. Sit down on the footstool next to me. That's it. I like to look down on people. Hmm. Let me brush that strand of hair back. Or do you like it in your eyes? Now brush it back so I can see your answers. Who's Dixie Gillian? What difference does it make? None to him and some to me. He's dead. No, he couldn't be dead. Yeah, well, he'd like to believe that, too. I couldn't sell him that story about an empty gun. He couldn't have been killed with that gun. No? No. I put in a blank, Patsy. Somebody used a hard-working bullet because Dixie's dead. There was no reason to kill him. I don't understand. Yeah, well, that makes you even with homicide, but they got a bigger team. Now, look, I made a diagram, Angel. Up at my place, I ran over murder with you. I don't like it. If you kill people, you don't get invited out enough. So if it's you or me on this one, I'm going to push you all the way. Don't understand it, Patsy. Who's Dixie Gillian? He was after some microfilm. I thought I could scare him away. You better be ready to identify him because homicide stopped. Even that scar didn't help. What scar, Patsy? The scar across his face. There's no record on him. No, no, Patsy. Everything goes wrong. Everything you touch goes wrong. That's the wrong man, Patsy. Yeah. Well, it's too late for a recount. You've got to get to that body, Patsy. I don't know how, but some way you've got to get to him. You look good, Lee. Make a nice picture. Wait a minute, Dixie. You don't need your coat. Come on. I don't know how it happened, Dixie. I didn't mean it that way. If you like it that way, all right. Bring your boyfriend, too. No, don't let him, Patsy. The gun's too big. I'm going with him. It was a short trip. He led us out of the dressing room and down a thin hall to the back door. On the way past the kitchen, you could smell onions and used grease, and that's about all you noticed except the sound of a jukebox somewhere out in front and somebody laughing in a loud, mirthless way. When we got to the door, it was raining outside. We walked about 40 feet over near some trees where the dark was working overtime, and the gunsel made her stop. Pick your spot, Lee. You can't be that crazy, Dixie. She's gonna get wet, mister. You'll have a little trouble yourself. When I woke up, it was still raining. I was lying on top of the mud like a stubborn seed. My wallet was gone, and the gunsel had ripped open my pockets. I stood up and walked over for a last look at Lee. The rain had washed the makeup off her face. And she looked small and tired as she lay there, like a broken doll that had been tossed out in the rain. I guess she was. Well, I got to my car, and I drove back to town. I checked my place, but there was no word from Jocko, so I went up to Lee's apartment. When I opened the door, the room was dark, but I knew somebody was on the rug. Either that or they'd varnished the floor with bourbon. 
I flipped on the light and bent over Jocko. Hey, hey, hey. Wake up, Jocko. All right, Jocko. Come on. Wake up. Come on. A little ammonia. A little ammonia, I think, would bring me around. What happened? I was sapped, I guess. Uh, Everybody's got the same act tonight. Uh, Help me up. Come on. Where have you been? I went down to meet the girl. Where'd you meet her? In a swimming pool? I've been in the rain all night. She's going to stay longer. What'd you find out? The fellow with the scar is her husband. Yeah? There's a picture in the desk. Are there any more pictures? A few. Take a look. Where, in here? Yes. Well, well. Who's he? It must be Dixie Gillian. He was down to pay off a debt tonight. She called him Dixie once. There's a note with that name and an address in the other drawer. He's our boy. We better get up there. Not if he's already killed two other people. We can't wait for Hellman. If he gets away, I'm all through. I won't have a leg to stand on. That's my point. When the other fellow gets through with us, we won't have much standing to do. I felt better now. Gillian was the only guy left in the picture, so I dragged Jocko up to his place. It was an apartment up on Post Street. The elevator operator took us up to the eighth floor and said that Gillian had come in a few minutes before. There was no answer, so we tried the door and it was open. Jocko didn't like the idea. Patsy, this is folly. Risking my life is one of the bravest things you do. Keep still, Jocko. What are we supposed to do? The door was open, wasn't it? Saw a lot of graves, but I've never been tempted. Hey, look at the furniture. There's been a fight in here. I'll look in here, and you check in the bedroom, huh? Well, if I'm not right back, don't expect me at all. All right. Patsy! Yeah? Patsy, come here. All right. There's somebody on the fire escape. Come here, stand back here. Oh, he's not moving. He was leaning that way when I first saw him. All right, I'll get on this side. You raise the window. Now, go easy, Jocko. Can you see him from there? Raise it a little more. All right. He's still leaning there. I can reach out. All right, watch yourself. If he's kidding, you'll lose an arm. I've got it. Good. Raise the window more. Okay. Patsy, he's falling. Give me a hand. Well, here, let me through there. Oh, it's too late. I can't hold it. Hang on, Chuck. He's falling. Oh. oh, I'm sorry. Well, he was probably dead anyway. If he wasn't, that was a step in the right direction. Well, it was an easy night to die. Three of them had checked out already, and there was still time to look for more. Jocko and I went downstairs to see the guy. He was lying face down in the alley, and as you looked at him, you got the funny feeling he belonged there. He didn't disturb the scene. He just fitted in like a dirty, wet newspaper under a grandstand. There was a gun in his pocket, probably the same one that killed the girl, but there was no way of knowing. Jocko and I watched him for a minute, but your eyes begin to hurt when you see your only warm lead in a deep freeze. It was past two when I got down to headquarters and looked up Hellman. I briefed him on the girl and the guy in the alley, and then I asked him if any microfilm had turned up on the first guy in the morgue. That was a waste of time. Hellman couldn't find a brass ring in a dead man's nose, but we went over to the morgue for another look. So far, it was working out like a crossword puzzle torn in half. It's your time, Novak. I got more after tomorrow. You haven't. The microfilm must be on the guy. Three people have been killed for it, and I got roughed up just for laughs. We searched the guy once. Uh, Here it is. All right. Help me roll it out. Yeah. 
Well, well. He sure got thin under that sheet, didn't he? Wait a minute. Oh, you run a good morgue, Hellman. What'll the papers say when they hear the stiff got up and walked out? They got him in the wrong place or something. He didn't walk out. Well, he's gone, Hellman. You got an answer? He's been moved, I tell you. The guy was dead and I saw him put in here. Couldn't be walking around with a hole in the middle of his back. I don't know, Hellman. You do it with one in your head. Don't sell the guy short. When Hellman found out the body was gone, he stood there and stared at the empty slab. And then he started looking around in a nervous way, like a man trying to find the sugar bowl at a restaurant counter. A few minutes later, he turned and walked out of the morgue, and we were halfway downtown when it happened. It must have hit us at the same time, sharp and quick, like a piece of candy and a bad tooth. The guy back in the alley had come off that slab in the morgue. We got out to Dixie's place, and we began to check. There was a phone operator downstairs, and she said that Dixie had put through a call about two hours ago. Hellman checked the number, and it was the ticket office of a railroad. We got downtown and ran through the timetable. There was a train leaving the Oakland Mole in about 40 minutes. Well, it was an outside chance, but tonight that was the only kind for sale. We got down in time to slide on the last ferry over to the Mole. It was still dark out when the ferry pulled away from the slip and started across the bay. But over toward the Berkeley Hills, it was beginning to get light. The sky was the color of a bruise spot on a man's arm. We'll get up to the pilot house and tell him not to dock until we've gone through all the passengers. He doesn't have to be on this one. We'll check the train when we get there. Wait a minute. You don't have to check. There's your boy. Where? Up there on the rail, see? Now, you better go easy, Hellman. He's not a scale model. Just walk quietly until we're behind him. All right. Turn around, mister. You'll get a better view. Hello, Novak. How was the wind and the rain in your hair? Meet Inspector Hellman. You better turn in your ticket. I hope you brought your muscle. Grab him, Hellman. That's what I'm trying to do. All right, copper. Watch it. I'm being pitched over on the rail. I'm worried, Hellman. Watch it, Novak. I'm going over. One down, mister. Now for you. I landed on the deck and watched him disappear into the dark. Halfway down, the guy turned in. I got up and followed him down the ladder and along the main deck. He ducked into one of the engine spaces and I started in to look for him. It didn't take long because he turned out to be real helpful. You got the idea yet, Novak? I'll come closer. Tell me then. Do it yourself. But I'll knock you down hard when you show. Watch that platform. You're backing into trouble. Stay back there, Novak. Watch out for that platform, will you? You're backing into the engine. Ah! I kind of wound up last, huh? Yeah. That's the way it looks. Did you get the microfilm? Yeah. Uh, I got a big hurt. Does it show... A little. Yeah. It's been a long night, Novak. Huh? Yeah, but your worries are over. It's almost dawn. I don't know if I can use it. But I'll give it to you.
fished Hellman out of an oil slick a few minutes later. It's the first time his hair ever looked good. Dixie Gillian lasted long enough to piece the story together for homicide. Lee Underwood knew her husband was carrying microfilm, and she was worried, so she hired me to scare off Gillian. Oh, it might have worked, too, but the first slip came when Lee's husband went by to make a deal with Dixie without telling her. When I jumped him, Dixie was outside and figured it was a double cross, so he killed him with a silencer when that phony gun that Lee gave me went off. Dixie knew that the microfilm was still on the dead man. The only way he could be sure was to get the body out of the morgue. He took it up to his apartment, and when he got the film, he planted the gun and put the body on the fire escape. It was a little safer that way. There was a 50-50 chance the police would miss it the first time around, and he'd have a fair lead. Almost worked out for him, except for that phone call. The microfilm was in a capsule next to the roof of the guy's mouth. So old, it was new again. Well, Hellman asked only one question. In that fight, did I have anything to do with pushing him against the rail? I told him sometimes those ferry boats roll as much as 45 degrees. American Broadcasting Company has just brought you the 10th of a new series, Pat Novak for Hire, starring Jack Webb. Pat Novak is produced and directed by William P. Rousseau. Jocko Madigan is played by Tudor Owen. Inspector Hellman is played by Raymond Burr. Music was composed and conducted by Basil Adlam. Be with us again next week, when over most of these same ABC stations will bring you Pat Novak for Hire. This program came to you transcribed from Hollywood. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. And now, another mystery on Mystery Radio XXX. New post-war old Dutch cleanser. Famous for chasing dirt presents Nick Carter, famous for chasing crime. Every week at this time, two great names are joined as new post-war old Dutch cleanser brings you one of the most resourceful and daring characters in all detective fiction. Nick Carter, master detective. Don, where'd you get that gun? Never mind, just don't make me use it. Don't be a fool, Don. I'm not. I'm going out of here and nobody's gonna... Don't be too sure. (laughs) Anybody else want to try any smart tricks before I leave? Now, the case of the forgetful killer. Today's adventure starring Lon Clark as Nick Carter, brought to you by new post-war old Dutch cleanser. In the back booth of a dingy bar in the slum district, a well-dressed young man takes a thick package of banknotes from his pocket and passes it across the cigarette-scarred table to the shifty-eyed little man who sits across from him. That's every cent I have in the world, Whitey. Six thousand dollars. I said ten. Where's the other four grand? I couldn't get any more. You better get it. Remember that letter I told you about? If anything happens to me, it'll be in the hands of the DA within 24 hours. 
That'll be the end of you. But why? I'll meet you here tomorrow night and you... Pre- I can't come here again, Whitey. If anyone should okay, see... Okay, okay. I'll phone you at the office. Tell you where to bring it. But why do I... I get the other four grand tomorrow night? Or I go to the cops. And you go to the electric chair. For murder. Don, if there were any way I could raise the money for you, I would. You know that. Oh, I know, Chris. I, I wouldn't have asked you, except I've tried everything else. You're the only real friend I've got. Sure. Now, when you need me, I can't come through. Oh, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Whitey phoned me about an hour ago. I promised to have the money at the corner of First and Water Streets at 1 o'clock tonight. I've got to have it there. But why, Don? What's he got on you? You can tell me. No, Chris, I... I don't want to talk about that. But if Whitey ever tells the cops who I really am, it's the end of everything. And that little rat's got me tied hand and foot. You mean that letter to the district attorney? Yes, but... Chris. Chris, do you think you could be lying about that letter? If I thought now, that... Now, Don, you're not getting any crazy ideas, are you? Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm thinking. There's only one chance left. Yeah. Mr. Hughes gets back from Washington at 11 tonight. Nah, you'll never get him to part with $4,000. If I know our beloved employer, he'll never... But he's just... got to. It's my last hope. Yeah, what if he won't? Then I'll be waiting for Whitey just the same. And it'll be a meeting he'll never forget. It's you, sonny boy. So dark on that doorway, couldn't see you. Okay, where's the four grand? It's right here. Oh, no, you don't. Let go of that gun. Try and double-cross me with it. Oh, hi, Nick. Hello, Patsy. Good morning, Sergeant Matheson. Uh, Mr. Hughes, this is Nick Carter and Patsy Bowen. How do you do? Hello, Mr. Hughes. Thank goodness you're here at last. At last? Mr. Hughes, it's been exactly 17 minutes since Sergeant Matheson phoned and asked us to come down here to your office. I haven't even had my breakfast yet. What's this all about? Mr. Carter, my firm publishes children's and religious books. An notoriety, scandal, unfavorable publicity, anything like that can ruin us. Um, you see, Nick, there was a murder in the waterfront district last night. Cheap little two-bit crook named Whitey Gear was shot to death. We found this slip of paper on Whitey's body. What? Why, that looks like one of those slips of paper they have in phone booths for people to write phone numbers on. That's what it is, Patsy. Hmm. What's the connection, Matty? The phone number written on that paper is the number of the Hughes Publishing House. Oh, I see. Oh, hey, there's something else written here, too. Don Mason, 1 a.m., 1st Avenue and Water Street. Right. And Whitey was found dead at the corner of 1st and Water, shot to death about 1 a.m., according to the medical examiner. So Don Mason... Now, wait a minute. Is... Who is this Don Mason? Oh, that, Mr. Carter, is the crux of the whole thing. Don Mason is my sales manager, and he's engaged to my daughter. Oh, I see. And you think Mason kept the appointment with Whitey and murdered him, huh? Of course, don't you? I wouldn't know, Matty. This slip of paper with Mason's name on it certainly doesn't convince me. Well, I don't get you. From what you tell me, I doubt that Whitey was the kind of man who'd make a memorandum about anything. Oh, phooey. He did it this time, and that's all I care about, Nick. Maybe. Look, Matty, has anybody else handled this piece of paper except you and me? 
Why, no, I took it off the bottom myself. Why? Then let's put it in an envelope and see that no one else does touch it. Uh-huh. Okay, if you want to. Uh, but there's another thing, Nick. Yeah? Why do he's a skinny little runt, but from the looks of things, he must have put up a whale of a fight before he was killed. We found a couple of gray wool threads under his fingernails, like from a gray tweed coat. And Whitey's coat was brown. Oh, then you think those threads came from the killer's coat during the struggle. Sure, Patsy, what else? Uh-huh. And uh, Mr. Hughes here tells me Don Mason wears a gray tweed coat. And so do lots of other people, Maddie. You must understand, Mr. Carter, this company simply cannot afford to have one of its executives accused of murder. Now, I want you to prove that Don had nothing to do with this, this Whitey person. But what if he did have? Well... Well, then we'll publicize the fact that Hughes Publishing hired the best detective it could get to see justice done, even though the culprit is one of our own executives. Now, that may help some. Well, how about it, Carter? Before I give you an answer, Mr. Hughes, I'd like to talk this over with Don Mason. He hasn't come down to the office yet, Nick. I was just waiting for you to get here before going over to his apartment after him. A good idea, Matty, except that he may leave for the office before we get to his place. Oh, I have an idea. Don shares an apartment with my star salesman, Chris Bentley. I could phone Chris down to keep Don there until you arrive. Yeah, I suppose you do that, Mr. Hughes. And unless he's got a mighty good alibi, that young fella's going to move to another apartment. A small one in the city jail. Don. Don, uh, wake up. Oh, go Wake up, you dope. Snap out of it. Uh-huh. Oh, good morning, Chris. What's the matter? Old man Hughes just phoned that some people are coming to see you. He says to tell you to wait here until they arrive. Okay. Oh, I feel terrible. Don, where were you last night? Huh? Get with it, Don. You, you didn't get in until after I went to bed, and that was 3 o'clock. Where were you? Well, I... What? Well, I don't know. I can't remember. Did you get the money from old man Hughes? Money. What money? The money to pay off that blackmailer. Did you get it? Good grief, Whitey. Yes, Whitey. Did you see him? I I can't remember whether I did or not. You mean you had another one of those blackouts? I, I guess I must have. Now, let's see. I remember eating dinner here at the apartment with you. Yes, and afterwards I went out for a pack of cigarettes. When I came back, you were gone. And so was that gun you keep in your dresser drawer. What? Oh, Chris, no. What did you do, Don? Why'd you take the gun? You, you, you've got to remember. Oh, I, I can't. I can't remember anything. I went all over town looking for you, but you just disappeared. Oh, from the way my head feels, I'd, I'd think I must have been in some bar, but I don't drink. Wait a minute. What are you doing? Looking for your gun. Yeah, here it is in the pocket of your top coat. And Don, three bullets have been fired from it. What do you mean, Three bullets. It wasn't even loaded last time I saw it. Well, it is now. John, are you sure you didn't meet that whitey oh, fella? I, I don't know. I, I can't remember. Hey, hey, maybe it's the police who are coming here. Maybe whitey turned me in. Now, or... now, get hold of yourself. We haven't much time. What are you doing now? I'm putting the gun on this little shelf over the door in the coat closet. Not much of a hiding place, but it'll have to do until we can get rid of it. Chris, I won't let you get mixed up in now, this. Don't be silly. Now, get this. You never even heard of this whitey person. You were here all last night. You never left the apartment, understand? Yeah, yeah. I never left the apartment. After dinner, you and I played gin rummy and listened to the radio until 3 a.m., and then we went to bed. You were here all last night. And I'll swear to it. <laughs> 
And you still say you didn't meet Whitey Gear at the corner of First and Water Streets last night, Mason? No, I never even heard of the guy, Sergeant. Then how come he had your name and phone number? I don't know. Can you prove where you were at one o'clock, Don? I was right here in the apartment. That's right, Mr. Carter. Don never stepped outside all last night. You'll swear to that? What? Well, sure I will. We played gin rummy until 3 a.m. Well, that sounds like a pretty good alibi, Sergeant. Yeah, if it holds up. Frankly, Don, you don't look as though you'd spent a quiet evening at home. I'd say you were suffering from a pretty bad hangover. Well, I... Mason, Whitey Gear was killed with a thirty-eight revolver. You own such a gun? No. You own a gray tweed coat? Yeah. Why? Where is it? Oh, it's in the closet, but I... Don! Oh, darling, Daddy said you were in some kind of trouble. Don isn't in any trouble, Betty. No, honey, it's all right. Hey, wait a minute. Who's this? Betty Hughes, Don's fiancée. Say, you're looking fine, Betty. That's a new hairdo, isn't it? Of course not, Chris. But what did Daddy mean I by... guess it's just because I haven't seen you for so long. What are you talking about? You saw me only last night. But what was that? Chris came over to my house last night looking for Don. He said Don had disappeared and he thought... Uh, well... Don, something is wrong. Oh, you are in trouble, aren't you? You bet he is, Miss Hughes. So he was with you every minute last night, was he, Chris? Well, I, uh... Now, now look, Sergeant. I'll no... talk to you later. Get your hat, Don. I'm taking you in for the murder of Whitey Gear. Now, Matty, are you sure you have enough of a case to justify an arrest? You bet I have, Nick. Why would he frame a phony alibi if he wasn't guilty? Oh, Chris, if I'd only known... I tried to tip you off, Betty, but I guess I was pretty clumsy about it. You ready, Don? Yeah, I got my hat. And I got this! Where'd you get that gun? Never mind. Just don't make me use it. Because if I do, somebody's gonna get hurt. Unmindful of the fact that his action is practically a confession of guilt, Don stands near the door, holding Nick, Matty, and the others at the point of his gun. In just a moment, we'll see what happens next. Now back to the case of the forgetful killer. Today's adventure with Nick Carter, brought to you by new post-war Old Dutch cleanser. Holding Nick, Matty, and the others at the point of his gun... Don stands beside the door to the inner room of the two-room apartment he shares with Chris. Now, get into the bedroom. All of you. Let's do as he says, Matty. No use anyone getting shot. Uh, Thanks, Mr. Carter. I want to be sure nobody's going to... I don't be too sure. Hey! Keep your hand away from your gun, Sergeant. Okay, okay. You hurt, Nick? No. Just got the wind knocked out of me. It went down through me. That was quite a stunt, Don. I was a commando in the war. Now... Anyone else want to try any smart tricks before I leave? You're playing this awful dumb, kid. I'm playing it the only way I can. Now I'm going to lock this bedroom door. And then I'm getting out of here. And heaven help anyone who tries to follow me. So you both just stood there and let him walk out, did you? A fine pair of detectives you turned out to be. They didn't just stand there. As soon as they heard the outside door close, Nick and Sergeant Matheson were after him. Yeah, but by the time we got the door unlocked, he was out of sight. He left his wallet and the dresser, along with some small chains, keys, and so on. He won't get far without a cent in his pocket. Yeah, he left that gray tweed coat, too. I sent it down to the police lab. And if those threads under Whitey Gear's fingernails came from that coat, we'll know it in a couple of hours, Nick. <laughs> that young scoundrel... 
When I think of all I did for him. What did you do for Don, Mr. Hughes? Why, I gave him a job, didn't I? He even promoted him to be sales manager when he wasn't in line for the job, simply because Betty was in love with him. Well, I guess she sees a mistake now. I doubt it. When a girl's in love... Oh, love, fiddlesticks. Before he came along, it was Chris. For him, somebody else. How long has Don worked for you? Ever since he came here from Toronto, 1942. He was just out of the Canadian Army. I thought I was being patriotic by helping a disabled veteran. Disabled? Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't anything disabled about the way he threw me clear across that room. It was, it was a head wound. That's why they discharged him from the army. He used to have periods when he'd black out completely. He couldn't remember where he'd been or what he'd done for hours at a time, even days. That hasn't happened for a year or so now. Well, according to Chris, it happened last night. That's why Chris tried to give him an alibi. He said whatever Don did, he wasn't responsible. Oh, the guy's just getting ready for a plea of temporary insanity, Nick. But he won't get away with it. Maybe he will, Maddie. Unless you can prove a motive. I'll prove the motive. Don't you worry about that. Mm, it seems to me the first thing you've got to do is catch him. Yeah, well, I'll do that, too. Every cop in town is on the lookout for him. And five will get you ten. We have him rounded up inside of 24 hours. <laughs> Don, is that you? Yes. Are you alone? Yes. Oh, darling, where are you? Never mind. Betty, I need help. And I don't dare try to get in touch with Chris. The cops are sure to be watching the apartment. If there's anything I can do... There is. I've got to have some money so I can get out of town. A couple of hundred dollars. I'll get it. I'll bring it to you. No, no, I, I won't let you take any chances. Give the money to Chris. Tell him... I'll be waiting in the freight yards at the foot of 68th Street at midnight. Hey, Nick. Nick, we've got it. Got what, Matty? The only thing that was missing in this case. The motive. Look at this letter. Who's it from, Sergeant? From Whitey Gear, that's who. Whitey. Whitey. Yeah, let's see. Hey, you are. He was afraid Don might try to knock him off, so he left this with a friend to be mailed to the district attorney in case anything happened to him. <laughs> D.A. got it in the mail about an hour ago. What are those newspaper clippings, Nick? I don't know yet. A dated Portland, Oregon, 1939. It's all there. Even a picture of Don Mason. <laughs> His real name is Jimmy Burke, and he's wanted for murder. Murder? Yeah, Patsy. He was mixed up with a juvenile gang in Portland that robbed a warehouse and shot the night watchman. And Don was the one who killed him? That's what this clipping says. Oh. The gun that killed the watchman was positively identified as belonging to Don. He must have escaped into Canada and joined the army there under the name of Mason, huh? You wire Portland for confirmation, Matty? Sure, sure I did. No answer yet, Nick. Hey. Hmm? Look at the handwriting on this note that was with the clippings. What about it? Well, that's Whitey Gear's handwriting. At least his name is signed to it. So what? Well, it's nothing like the handwriting on that memo you found in his pocket. Why, Nick, you're right. Hey. Maybe Don wrote down the time and place he wanted to meet Whitey and then gave it to him. No, no, I don't think so, Matty. I have a hunch that memo was planted. Yeah? Well, the laboratory boys tested those gray threads under Whitey's fingernails, Nick. And they're definitely from Don Mason's coat. It's an airtight case. Yeah, sure. You seem to have everything except a prisoner. Uh, <clears throat> you haven't found any trace of Don yet, have you? No, no. He won't make a move until after dark. But like you said, he's got to have money. Probably he'll try to get it from Chris. And I've got all my men around that apartment. I don't think he'll go back to the apartment, Matty. What? My hunch is he'll try to contact Betty Hughes. 
Hey, maybe you're right. Well, I'll just plant some of the boys around the Hughes house, too. You won't have to, and Matty. I phoned Walter McGlynn. He's watching the place now. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> then we got him, no matter which way he jumps. <laughs> I think I'll go on home, Nick. It's been a long day. Yeah, it's almost midnight. I know, but I wanted to stick around the office. Oh, hold it. Nick Carter speaking. Oh, Waldo. Huh? What? I see. Where'd she meet him? Bet he met Don somewhere? No, she met Chris. Oh. Where? Why, that's the freight yard. Nick, what's happened? Good boy, Waldo. We'll get right on it. Nick, what is it? Betty just met Chris in a cafeteria on the east side and gave him a roll of bills. The getaway money for Don. That's what Waldo figured, so he trailed Chris out of the cafeteria and heard him tell a cab driver he wanted to go to the foot of 68th Street. So that's what you meant when you said the freight yards. Yeah. Chris just left a couple of minutes ago. We hurry, maybe we can get there first. Nick, that was Chris ahead of us. I know it was. Yeah, I got a good look at him when he passed under the light. Where'd he go to? Maybe he went around the other side of this boxcar. A couple of hundred boxcars in this part of the yards. You can stop right where you are, Carter. Don! Thank heaven we found you, Don. I was afraid you'd... Save it. Chris? Yeah, Don? Get his gun. Okay. Now, wait a minute, Chris. You're in trouble already. You help him now, that's going to make you equally guilty. Well, what can I do, Mr. Carter? Don's making me do this at the point of a gun. Aren't you, Don? Sure I am. You got it? You bet. Don, listen to me. Don't be a fool. You give yourself up, I think I can prove your innocence. Innocent? But I, I'm not. I killed Whitey because he was blackmailing me. I must have. Do you remember killing him? Oh, no. I don't remember anything that happened last night, but... I, I... don't think you did kill him, Don. In fact, I'm positive you didn't. Don't listen to him, Don. It's a trick. Look, Don, there's only one person who knew where and when you were going to meet Whitey. Only one person who could have drugged you. Drugged me? Yes, drugged you. That's why you thought you had a hangover this morning. So that's it. This person drugged you, then kept your appointment with Whitey wearing your gray tweed coat. Chris, it was you who... Okay, it... let's quit playing games. You drop met your gun, Whitey. Don. You met Whitey and you killed him. If you him. don't drop your gun, stupid, I'm going to use this gun I took from Carter. Okay. Now you're being sensible. But, but I don't get it. You were my friend. I trusted sure, you. Sure, I was your friend. I didn't mind a bit when you got the sales manager job I should have had. And I was tickled to death when you took my girl away from so me. So that's it. Sure. With you out of the way, I'll be the new sales manager. And I'll be the boss's son-in-law, too. Someday I'll own the whole business. You're going to have to work awfully fast to do all that before you go to the chair for killing Whitey, aren't you, Chris? Who's going to send me to the chair? Not any of you three. Because when Carter and Don get through fighting it out, I'm afraid there won't be any survivors. What are you talking about? It'll be easy, Carter. I've got your gun to shoot Don with. And then I'll take his gun to finish off you and Miss Bowen. Chris, Chris, you're crazy. The cops will think Carter tried to arrest you and you shot it out. Why, that's ridiculous. Someone will hear the shot. That freight engine is going to pass on the other side of this boxcar in a few seconds. It'll make enough noise to cover anything. Even gunshots. With a passing freight engine to cover the sound of gunfire, Chris's finger tightens on the trigger. We'll see what happens in just a moment. Now for the conclusion of the case of the forgetful killer. Today's adventure with Nick Carter. Brought to you by new post-war old Dutch cleanser. In the freight yards at the foot of 68th Street, Chris Bentley is holding Nick, Patsy, and Don Mason at the point of a gun. 
waiting only for the noise of an approaching engine to cover the sound of his shot before he fired. Here's the engine. So get ready. You first, Don, old pal. Madison. Unless you want me to point this army gun lower than it's time. About time you got here, Maddie. I started as soon as I got your phone call, Nick. You're not going to take me in? Nick, he's getting away. Not so fast, chum. <laughs> there. That'll hold you for a while. Good work, Don. Holy mackerel, Don. What did you do to it? Didn't you recognize that stunt, Maddie? It's the same one I used on me. And I can tell you from experience that Chris isn't going to do any more running away. Not for a minute or two. <laughs> I can't thank you enough for what you did, Nick. But, well, I guess it wasn't much use. They'll only send me back to Oregon to stand trial for for the killing that night, killing the night watchman back in 39. Oh, no, they won't, Don. Sergeant Matheson wired the Oregon police about you, and they wired back that the charge had been dropped. That's right, Don. About a year later, the real killer was caught, and he confessed. For the love of Pete. You were completely cleared. But if Chris wanted to get rid of me, why did he kill Whitey to do it? Well, for all he knew, he only had to sit tight and let Whitey turn me in. He said you were going to Mr. Hughes for the money, and he was afraid you might get it. And he couldn't turn you in himself because you wouldn't tell him what Whitey had on you, or even what your real name was. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But even after he killed Whitey to make sure the DA got that letter, Chris tried to give me an alibi. It just doesn't make sense. Well, that was only a part of his scheme to put himself in a good light with Betty Hughes. He knew that alibi wouldn't stand up. In fact, he made sure it wouldn't stand up. By going to a dozen places looking for you. He knew someone would remember that he'd said you disappeared and couldn't be found. And to think you figured the whole thing out from that piece of paper with my name on it. And the time and the place where I was supposed to meet Whitey. Oh, just a minute, Don. That's not quite true. That slip of paper looked a bit phony to me, but that was all. When Chris tried to incriminate you by putting that piece of paper in Whitey's pocket, he was actually furnishing the evidence that was going to convict him. What well, well, do you mean? He forgot a very important thing. Fingerprint. Fingerprint. Yes, Whitey's fingerprints weren't on that paper. So obviously he couldn't have written it. But Chris's fingerprints were all over it. Wow, he did forget something important, didn't he? Uh-huh. But, uh, say, Nick, you didn't know about those things until an hour ago. Mm-hmm. Why were you so sure Don was innocent? I became convinced the minute he threw me across the room at his apartment. What'd that have to do with it? Well, Whitey was a scrawny little fellow. Yet Maddie said he put up quite a fight before he was killed. Oh, oh, I see what you mean. If Don could put you flat on your back in two seconds, a little guy like Whitey would have been licked before he started. Right, Patsy. Well, this is the first time in my memory that a man has made a friend of me by knocking me down. How about the adventure new post-war old Dutch cleanser is going to bring us next week, Nick? Well, Ralph, it's about a young fellow who wanted to buy his wife a diamond ring and almost bought himself a one-way ticket to the electric chair instead. And he completely ruined my new look, not to mention almost giving me pneumonia. Oh, that was my fault. You see, Ralph, the only way I could keep Patsy from being shot was by pouring cold water on her. (laughs) Sounds as though you had a rough time, Patsy. (laughs) Oh, I did. Uh, What do you call this adventure, Nick? I call it the case of the clue called X. Carter, Master Detective, is presented each week at this time by the Cudahy Packing Company. It is produced and directed by Jock McGregor and is copyrighted by Street and Smith Publications, Incorporated. 
Charlotte Manson is featured as Patsy. Ed Latimer plays Matty. Today's script was written by Jim Parsons. Original music is played by Henry Silburn. This program is fictional, and any resemblance to actual persons living or dead is purely coincidental. This is Ralph Camargo saying, when minutes count, use new post-war old Dutch cleanser. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Join us again next time on Mystery Radio X. X.